back to the Nigsy Sportscast. And again, big thanks uh, to Stephen Caldwell for coming on uh, a couple times. But uh, Steve probably would not have uh, been available to come on if it was not for the man on the line. It is a uh, former Canadian uh, international himself, a man that uh, had the honor of playing for Canada on numerous different youth levels and um, is uh, doing all of us a great solid in Saskatchewan trying to bring a pro team here. It's uh, Joe Abellin. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me on. Uh, just just to, first of all, clear things up. Is it B-Lan, Bellin? How, how do you like it to be pronounced? Yeah, it's pronounced uh, Bellin. Bellin, okay. Mm-hmm. So I got it right the first time. And uh, from, from, I guess, the Niagara region, if I'm not uh, not mistaken, uh, you know, I read that you kind of fell in love, started playing soccer at a very young age, like a lot of people do. But uh, what was kind of your uh, your story uh, as a player, uh, you know, in terms of the pro game as well and, and playing for Canada? Yeah, I was uh, I consider myself a late bloomer in soccer. I played a number of sports growing up. I played hockey. Uh, I was a pretty good tennis player at a, at a youth level, uh, played against guys like uh, Daniel Nestor and um, it all came together for me around the age of 14, and I'd made the regional team down in Niagara, and then very quickly the uh, provincial team, and within about a two-year period, I went from uh, being a player in a small uh, town team in southern Ontario to uh, being on the under-17 national squad. So it, uh, I think it just demonstrates that uh, you know people's trajectory in sports, it's not linear, it, it, uh, it depends uh, your circumstances, and development doesn't happen in a straight line, and I was fortunate that, uh, for me, it worked out uh, such that I had a great progression in soccer, and then I had to, unfortunately, leave some of the other sports that I was playing, but uh, no regrets, and love the game, and uh, follow it uh, very closely, you know, even today. Uh, yeah, that seems like quite a meteoric uh a meteoric jump, I suppose, and uh, you know, obviously, and obviously, with with no disrespect, there were great players uh, who played for Canada back then. So to make it where you did is amazing, um, you know. But you know, maybe that pathway a little bit, a little bit more common back then, but than now, but uh, still very, very impressive. What was that jump like to go from? you know, a kind of local kind of club scene to, you know, wearing Canada across your chest all of a sudden and you're facing Cuba and Guadalupe and, and you know, Mexico and whomever at the Pan Am Games and you know, all, all that. Uh, in terms of the quality, you know, how did you kind of make that jump? What were some of the keys? Were there coaches that really helped you? What was the, the key for you to, to kind of explode all of a sudden? Yeah, I just think the stars aligned and, and uh, you know, it's the old uh, saying, you, know, you just take it one game at a time, which is sort of what I did. I was young and naive and you just went out and you played and you just didn't know what the competition was like. Uh, didn't really, you know, I, I played against a lot of players in, in Toronto who played for top clubs and I wasn't really you know, overly intimidated by that. And, you know, just played it again one game at a time and then more people came out, scouts, coaches, etc. You know, I did have the honor of playing, uh, unfortunately, sad news, uh, but a week ago, Gary Miller uh, from uh, Terra Soccer passed away tragically, and I did have an opportunity to work with Gary as a coach uh, at the under-17 national level. Uh, great guy, uh, great gentleman of the game, and I, I think uh, Canada, unfortunately, lost a, a true gentleman of the game. Uh, but, uh, as I said, I, I just took sort of one game at a time, and... Uh, 
uh, you know, let things uh, play its course. Yeah, for sure. And pretty, pretty cool. You know, I know you played with uh, Jason DeVos uh, on a bunch of those uh, youth national teams uh, who went on, of course, to a long and kind of distinguished career in Europe and, uh, you know, different, obviously for the national team for such a long time. Uh, can you remember who the best player that you both played with and against uh, were? Uh, yeah, we, uh, I think our stiffest competition, uh, and I think players that we would have remembered uh, playing together against would have been um, uh, in the 1991 uh, Pan Am Games. We had the opportunity, because the under-23 national team had a conflict, they were in the midst of qualifying, uh, we were then sent down as the representative of Canada for the 91 Pan Am Games down in Cuba. And, that was uh, the sort of star-studded uh, U.S. Olympic team that featured uh, Claudia Reyna and Alexi Lalas and many of the other players who went on to play for the United States national team both in 94 and 98. Uh, so that was really stiff competition for us. Uh, I think we did really well. Uh, we unfortunately lost 3-1, but I don't think that the scoreline gave uh, justice to the way we played. I think we were very competitive. We had nothing to lose. and we let everything on the line. So for me in my career, that was certainly one of the, the, the games that I remember very vividly because uh, it was a high level, unlike anything we'd seen before. And we put out a great effort and, and played against some great players. Yeah, for sure. And that, that U S generation, uh, so, so interesting. So full of, uh, uh, yeah, really, really interesting stories that people follow USA soccer history, and obviously the 94 World Cup was big and made a big jump for the, the USA in, in soccer and, and led to the MLS and everything, and those guys were really central. Uh, and then a couple of days before that, I guess, you guys managed to draw against Mexico. Um, or pardon me, a couple of year, a year later, you guys drew against Mexico in an under-20 situation in B.C., um, what was uh, that like? What were they like? Obviously, the Mexicans always produce talent, and you know, at the the youth level, it seems even you know at the at the very very highest level, and obviously the senior level too, to to some degree. But uh, uh, what, what was that like playing the Mexicans too? Oh, that was a great. I remember that was another great game. Uh, you know, pulsating, uh, quick paced. Uh, they had you know a lot, uh, uh, certainly a lot of possession in the game. Uh, we defended very well. Uh, you know, I just remember for 90 minutes an in intense level of, of concentration because you really couldn't take your eye off the ball. They were just so quick and unpredictable. And uh, we were very organized, uh, well-structured. Uh, but, you know, sometimes they would always pull something out that uh, was extraordinary or magical, and uh, you, you had to you know, sort of prepare for that. So I remember... Just the level of concentration was uh, very intense over that 90 minutes to uh, to be, make sure that we didn't uh, concede any 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 uh, you know unfortunate goals. Yeah, no doubt. And you know, obviously, uh, very rare do you see any sort of Canadian side over the history of soccer. I guess uh, um, you know get a result against the against the Mexicans. So. You know, definitely impressive. If you were to compare yourself as a player to a modern a player today, who who would you compare yourself to? Um, or your style, at least. Yeah, I, I I would have to give that a little bit more thought. Uh, but I would say that my style was uh, I was 
you're fairly uh, physical. Um, I think I read the game quite well, um, and uh, you know, was it certainly able to play uh, out of the back? So um, you know, back then there were a lot of uh, long balls that were sort of coming out of the back. It wasn't necessarily a style I liked to play. I really liked to play the ball on the ground and, and play out of the back. Uh, but you know that wasn't really the, the style of play back then, and um, as I said, I think I just sort of drew upon a lot of my athleticism and, and speed, and, and was able to read the game well. And overall, I think uh, you know that served me well as a player. So, Virgil Van Dyke, or um, <laughs> he's got a few inches on me, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't, you know, say that I. Uh, again, direct comparison. Um, you know, I think that uh, I really like the way Cannavaro played the game. Okay. Uh, particularly around the way he read the game, and I think that uh, yeah, I'm not comparing myself to Cannavaro, but I would say that uh, I, I was always thinking about where the play was developing and, and try to position myself uh, accordingly. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe like even the Stephen Caldwell guy that you uh, guy that you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who 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 was more about yeah reading what, where where challenges and difficulties for the dif like keeping a goal out would come before it happened than sort of manhandling somebody you know not being not being six a six five giant not that he was tiny but um, definitely could, got out of trouble by by his brain before he got out of trouble by his body I guess you could say so um, yeah definitely it. Nah, there you go long long good career and TFC captain and. And everything. So there you go. Uh, and then you know, obviously, you you play soccer for a while, and um, and now you know you find yourself working in Europe and in Canada and whatnot. So what exactly is it that you do? And other than you know trying to be a uh, professional or uh, trying to own a professional soccer team, um, which again we're all very grateful for. But uh, what is it that you do, kind of uh, as your day job? Yeah, I've been in the investment industry for about 20 years, and I've been involved in a number of different roles, uh, including a merchant acquisitions uh, investment banker. I was also involved as a private equity investor and was also uh, leading companies in restructuring. So I've seen a number of different um, – I've been involved in a number of different roles within uh, the investment industry, and that's what I've been doing over the past 20-odd uh, years. For sure, and I'm sure you've been asked this question so many times, but uh, I'm guessing my listenership may not be the same as you know other listenerships. So again, I apologize. But you know, why Saskatchewan for a pro soccer team, um, and how did it kind of come about that there was a possibility for you to to start that direction? Yeah, I was first introduced to the CPL project by Paul Byrne. He had uh, approached me a few years back, and. Uh, one of the markets that they did not have an ownership solution for was Saskatchewan, and so it was presented to me as as an option, and um, I had looked at it very objectively, and I thought this was a market that was very intriguing. You obviously saw the success that the riders have had, and um, I had to really understand, together with my partner, Graham McLaughlin, what the opportunity might be for soccer and how to build it. I had a few different data points. Uh, you've got the riders, uh, historically, they've been very successful and are really part of the cultural and sports fabric of the province. But I've also seen in Europe how very successful uh, professional soccer clubs have been built uh, really around community. And I think that's the key pillar for Saskatchewan is that it's 
a, a very strong community, and, and that's an essential ingredient, I think, to build a a strong uh, uh, club in, in a league like the Canadian Premier League. Yeah, and uh, I guess uh, how's it going? I know I've seen you know articles that the target was next year, but obviously it's hard to. I don't know. Hold, holding somebody to something is kind of kind of a strong term. It's more strong than I mean, but um, with especially given uh, you know the coronavirus uh, and COVID nineteen, uh, it seems like timelines for everything in this world can very easily be skewed. So, to what degree has uh, kind of that target been skewed by the situation, and and is there a new target, or what's sort of the thought about that right now? Yeah, it's difficult to put a target on that because, you know, we virtually have gone through what I would equate to similar to a tsunami. Um, you know, no one expected to see uh, COVID-19 develop. There's some sectors of the economy that have been harder hit. I think that when I look across all the different industries that are being impacted, sports in particular has been the one that the hardest hit because, uh, the timetable to get people back in the stands and uh, uh, social distancing or physical distancing, as some people refer to it now, uh, is making it very difficult for sports teams to have people come and watch the games. And I think you've seen in the past uh, week or two with the Bundesliga coming back and, and being in empty stadiums, it just doesn't, to me, it just doesn't feel the same. Um, and, uh, you, you know, I, I don't know what the sports uh, um, franchises and the sports leagues are thinking about uh, televising games with no fans. To me, it, it just doesn't feel the right thing to do. So that's my own view and opinion. Uh, it may differ from others, but uh, I think we have to really assess as to, to what happens here. You know, I don't know when people are going to feel comfortable gathering in, in large public places um, and sitting close to one another until perhaps the vaccine is, is introduced and, and I don't know when that's going to happen. So I think we have to look at that as being the next big milestone in determining what happens beyond that. And I think that uh, this COVID-19 situation certainly put back our timetable uh, a couple of years to be you know completely honest and, and transparent. Yeah, no, it's, I think that's totally fair and um, yeah, that that uh, makes sense. I know it was uh, a great time uh, last summer, and uh, all of us that were able to get out there really appreciated it. So, uh, you know, hopefully there's more uh, like that moving forward, and obviously whatever it takes to to make it successful and sustainable is the most important thing. So, uh, yeah, very well, you cool. saw it, you saw it, you know you saw it in uh, your own Jamie, where um, you know you've got fond memories of the SK Summer Soccer Series because you were able to get together with friends and it became a great outing and a great experience and you know a lot of memories generated from that so it's not the same thing watching yeah. on your couch by yourself a game you know it, it's it's nice to watch sports but it's all about mm-hmm. the energy that uh, sports brings out and, and the sense of community yeah for sure and of course in germany they don't they have no need to start a movement like it's been a movement since the 1800s there so like it's it's different uh, it's a different situation and uh, you know hey i've been i've been watching the bundesliga anyways it's still it's still good obviously it's not the same um you know as as 80,000 fans in in the uh signal Iduna park in uh, in dortmund or whatever but um you know we we take what we can get i suppose uh you know speaking of that exact topic uh, you know you've i know you've spent a lot of time in europe you live in switzerland a good amount uh, you know, for those that are hockey fans, and a lot of my followers, listeners are hockey 
I guess, first people. Um, you know, talk about the the culture and the the you know the way that the game is in Switzerland versus uh, you know the NHL versus maybe in Canada. Also, in terms of development of hockey players, because I know you're you have close links with the uh, Sug, uh you know hockey program and sports program in Switzerland and. Obviously, it seems like from the outside, obviously the far outside, being as I am in Saskatchewan, that uh, um, you know there's some similarities between the excitement that there is around soccer and and the way that fans approach the the, the game of hockey uh, in Switzerland and in different parts in Germany, of course, and and whatnot. Uh, can you maybe speak to uh, that and whether there's still some difference between soccer fans and hockey fans in Switzerland, or or, or just in general, what's your what are your impressions of hockey in Switzerland? Yeah, well, I'm I'm a Jamie, as you know, I'm a huge hockey fan as well. I played growing up, and, and my son plays for the FL Zug uh, Academy, and um, you know, Zug uh, for, for some of the listeners who, who don't know, it's a small community. It, it's uh, it's, it's uh, located between Lucerne and, uh, and Zurich, but you know, the population of kind of the immediate area is only around sixty thousand people. Huh. Yet every pro game, and we have our own pro team, FL Zug. Um, is packed. You know, it's 6,500 fans every single day a game. You can barely get a ticket. And um, it's it's a really nice culture that's developed. And, and that's because the team is viewed as an integral part of the community. And they're very active. Um, you know, to, to put this into perspective for people, they put on a hockey school and a hockey academy where the kids do not pay to play, mm-hmm. which is their contribution to the community. Awesome. And as a result of that, they've been able to develop a very strong uh, sense of loyalty among people uh, because they see what the great job the, the organization does for the community. Uh, it's not discriminatory. Anybody can play hockey. As I said, the hockey school starts at four years of age. It's all paid for. Uh, even the pro players are required to go and, and coach the four-year-old kids. And uh, it's mandatory. It's not optional. So it, it really kind of puts a nice personal touch of the players being integrated with the community and the fans. And they've built a really nice culture around it. And, um, you know, my son plays for the, for the club. It's his favorite club. He loves going to the games. The atmosphere inside the stadiums resembles something in a soccer stadium. So you see waving flags and chants, and they've got standing sections. And the atmosphere is incredible. Like, uh, I grew up playing, watching the Toronto Maple Leafs. They were my favorite team and I love watching you know the old I went to a few games at the old Maple Leaf Gardens and those are really hardcore hockey fans that used to go and now if you go to Air Canada Centre you know you tend to see a lot of suits and a lot of corporate uh, people you know walking around and watching the games and I think the games lost a little bit of that um, you know classic uh, you know connection with people and and with the, the core fans and um, you know, it's become a lot more entertainment rather than being more akin to religion. So I'm more of a, a religion guy <laughs> in terms of sports. And uh, but you know, you have to acknowledge that this, the sports industry has also taken on more of a, an entertainment complexion to it as well. Yeah, no, and I knew you were a good guy before we started this podcast. But now that you said that you're a Leaf fan, I know that you're a good guy. <laughs> Um, so there you go. I, you know, living in Saskatchewan, I find there's really two people, two types of people out here. There are people who love the Leafs and are Leaf fans, uh, and they're cool. And people who just hate us, just 
just hate us. And obviously, like, I'm a Toronto area guy, you know, born and raised Thornhill, Ontario. And um, so it kind of is in is in my blood. And that's what everybody did. But I obviously grew up and continue to carry that over here. But I, I completely, uh, I hear you about that. And obviously, the best fans, I tell people out here, the real Leaf fans, the real hockey fans are not the ones in the stands. They're the ones watching in pubs or watching with their buddies in the basement or whatever. Those were the real Leaf fans are, or even Maple Leaf uh, Square outside uh, the Scotiabank Arena, I think it's called now. But, uh, yeah, very, very cool. Uh, and then uh, last question for you, Joe. I don't want to take too much of your time. And, then again, I really uh, I really do appreciate it. But, uh, you know, I guess what does uh, work and life look like for you under this certain the, the specific uh, situation with COVID? I know, um, you know, you're, you were saying that you were, quote-unquote, stuck in – in beautiful Toronto, but uh, um, so that must be tough to be away from away from family for that long. But uh, I guess what what does it look like? What does life look like for you, and work look like for you? Yeah, so we're actually as a family we're moving back to Canada. Uh, so I'm I'm stuck here in Toronto at the moment, but I'm going to be heading back to Switzerland shortly, and then uh, we as a family are moving back uh, to Canada after being in Europe for nearly twenty years. So uh, we're excited about a new chapter in our life and. Uh, you know, that'll bring me closer back to Canada and, and some of the activities and projects that I've got going on here. So that's uh, positive. And it's also an opportunity to get closer to most of my friends and family who are still here in, in uh, Ontario and uh, looking certainly looking forward to that and looking forward to the day that we can you know introduce another SK Summer Soccer Series because I think last year was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd like to uh, build on that and Hopefully people come back and uh, we can sort out the social distancing issues in a, in a safe and responsible way. And uh, you know, hopefully this uh, teaches people that sometimes you don't, you know, you miss something until uh, you don't miss or you, you don't appreciate something until it's gone. So maybe this is one where people say, yeah, "I really love the game. I really appreciate it." And now's a time to get back and, and really celebrate it. Yeah, for sure. Can't wait. Uh, can't wait for more. Um, but, uh, yeah, Joe, again, I uh, really appreciate your uh, time and I'm just going to push stop on the record and we can catch up some more, but, uh, thanks for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you.